Okay, testing. One, two, three. Cameron, awkward, rich. Cameron, Francis. Cameron and Francis. The Cameron and Francis show. The Cameron show. and Francis show, at last. Ugh. She's the author of Soft Science Hard Lessons, The Bill Nye Story, Franny Choi. <laughs> and when they said they wish they could be one of the kids on Zoom, they didn't mean this. Danette Smith. And you're listening to Verses, the podcast where poets confront the ideas that move them. Brought to you by the Poetry Foundation and Post Loudness. Hi, Nezzy. Good to see you on Zoom. Good to see you on Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. Zip and zip and see you double O M Zoom. <laughs> Wait, was that from the show? Oh, the yeah. only thing I remember is the Asian girl who did like the arm thing, I think. The right? Asian girl that did the arm thing. What's yeah, the arm was thing? that Zoom or was that Zabuma food? There were so many shows. Zabuma um, So like <laughs> the one with the lemur. There was this girl. There's this Asian girl on one of them shows where like she, her trick was she was like I'm Stephanie and then she like moved her arms in this weird way and as a kid you were like what the fuck? <laughs> Wait, you know whatever that thing kids do where like they like crisscross yeah, 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 their yeah. arms oh, like that without moving I, them. Keiko yeah. was it Keiko? I feel like there was a Je- little Japanese girl that liked to dance. Well, wherever Keiko is. Keiko, that blew my mind back in the day, and I am still thinking of you. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought that you were calling me a lemur, a puppet of a lemur. Why would I call you a lemur puppet? No, no. It's a mumufu. You're I at least a puppet of a llama. Oh, thank you. Let's, I'm not sure. Let's go with that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> we're here to introduce a very special episode of Versus outside of our usual thingy McThing. Yes, it's um, true. Because as y'all know, we're we're in quarantine because y'all are in quarantine unless you live in one of them states that is going to be in quarantine in two months again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we got a chance to do some one-on-one interviews with some of our favorite writers and friends um, from the comfort of Zoom and in Franny's case, the comfort of her own home. Yeah, the comfort of this blanket fort, which I must say is very comforting, actually. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I luckily I happen to live with one of the country's foremost poets, Cameron Awkward Rich. You may have heard of him. What a coincidence. I know, I know, I know. He just he stopped by for about 11 months. And uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, so I happen to live with Cameron Awkward Rich, um, my my dearest, my darling um, Cameron, uh, whose book Dispatch just came out. I mean, it it came out in December. um, And so we got to talk about that and a bunch of other stuff um, from the comfort of our living room. Now I'm curious because, you know, this is like an experiment. Um, Is there anything that Cam said? Because y'all live to each other, so you literally are like always interviewing each other. I know. Do you you want to continue to be in this relationship? Okay, cool. Uh, (laughs) But was there anything um, that surprised you about your conversation with Cam? What sort of came out in like under the blanket fort that doesn't normally come out between (laughs) y'all? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, right? Because we are talking to each other about poems and what we think about writing and stuff all the time. But it was like a specifically sweet and like interesting thing to get to hear them like say the smartest version of the thing that you have been talking about, like one on one in your kitchen for the last few months, you know? It's nice to see your person who you like love very much at their best, you know? Like Cameron's like, He's a professor. He's, like, good at talking. And um, and it was also, I think, that, like, it feels exciting, but also maybe a little bit scary to kind of, like, let, I don't know, it's, like, letting the world into our relationship, which is, like, very insular. It's a very much, like, indoor kid relationship, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and we talk about that, uh, uh, that quite a bit in the interview, like, introversion and, like, this period of not going outside and also what it feels like to release a book about not going outside during a period where we're not going outside. Um, so anyway, yeah, I hope that it uh, makes sense to other people besides us. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure everybody's going to cry 18 times. Oh, we'll be fine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Again, like I said, we were, we stayed, I think that we, we kept it like pretty uh, professional. Um, although the, the cat did come in a few times into the blanket fort. Aww. so We'll see. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not every day that you get a um, 
got a cameo by a cat in a podcast recording. <laughs> right. So. Shout out to Bean. I love that cat. All right. Uh, I'm going to read Cam's bio and then let's listen to this thing. Um, Cam Awkward Rich is the author of Sympathetic Little Monster, which was a finalist for the Lambda Literary Award. He is a Cave Canem Fellow, a poetry editor for Muzzle Magazine, and his second collection, Dispatch, is out from Persia Books right now. Um, also a critic, Cam earned his PhD from Stanford University's program in Modern Thoughts and Literature. Literature, and he is an assistant professor in women, gender, and sexuality studies at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Currently, he is working on a book about maladjustment in trans literature and theory, and that shit is going bang. Here's Franny talking to her boo. He also makes a mean lentil soup. Put that in the bio. Uh, and <laughs> he will also start us off by reading a poem. This is the poem that opens my new book. It's called Bad Weather. So used to drought, the city looked astonished at the sky, and I have to believe that's why she didn't see me in the crosswalk. I was on my way to celebrate another year among my friends, then drowned by laughter in an ambulance as it raced along toward harbor. I used to fear my body was a well anyone could toss their wishes into, unbothered surface, pocked with light, So I'd be lying if I said I didn't love it, the new storm, minor catastrophe, me and its mute eye. I leave the hospital and can't look at anything, my skull wrung, wrong, blessed din of my solitary making, static song no one else can hum along. Mm. I love that poem, Cameron. Thanks, Ren. It wasn't always the first poem in your book, right? No, it wasn't always the first poem in the book. Why was it that you decided to move it to the... To the beginning? Yeah. Over and over again, poems in the book, individual poems in the book, either refer back to this kind of car accident. Oh, yeah. Right, because the poem is about you getting hit by a car. Yeah, it's a poem (laughs) about me getting hit by a car. Um, And over and over again poems in the book sort of refer back to this incident. And um, also after I got hit by the car, I sort of had this experience and still actually, I I kind of, I have this like weird, I suppose it's just tinnitus, but it's really, it's it's sort of weird because it's uh, kind of like static in my head Mm. all the time if I'm listening to it. Mm. Um, And right after the accident, it was like quite loud and it, it becomes something of a metaphor or a character in the book. Right. This sort of weird ever-present static. Um, so it seemed to make sense to put the poem first just sort of narratively, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's kind of the inciting catastrophe. Yeah. And then there's that last line, which is like, signals so much of what will happen. Yeah. What is it? Solitary? A solitary song no one else can hum along. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a book that is a lot about uh, catastrophe and loneliness. And so it seemed to put the poem that that is most sort of apparently about that Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the book. Yeah. Speaking of catastrophe and loneliness, Uh (laughs) can you talk about, um, do you want to describe where we are and what the state of the world is? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, we're in uh, what you call a pillow fort, but which is clearly a sort of a sheet fort (laughs) in our living room. Why do I keep calling it a Pillow. Why do I keep calling it a pillow for it? Oh, hi, Bean. Also, our cat is here. Our cat is here. Yes. <laughs> um, we're in our living room of our apartment in Northampton, Massachusetts, where we have been more or less for a month now. Wow. Yeah. Um, is that true? I think so. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Because it's like early April. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Or not even early, but yeah, April. April. It's April. Um, <laughs> because. Much of the U.S. is under various kinds of stay-at-home or shelter-in-place orders because mm. of the coronavirus uh, mini-apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> Did you say mini-apocalypse? Yeah. Why is it a mini-apocalypse? Well, I guess it's not like the apocalypse. Yes, it's not the apocalypse. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a harbinger, uh-huh. but not exactly the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which, to be honest, hasn't been lonely at all. Right. Because we've just been hanging out all yeah. the time. Not necessarily always in sheet forts or blanket forts or pillow forts. No, this is a first. This is a first, but not a last. I know that this is also like a funny thing to be talking to each other, knowing that people are 
going to be listening in. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of nice, I think. You just want to put our sweet little life in public. <laughs> yeah, well, That's all you're ever trying no, to do. No, it's, not, it's, not, it's not all I'm, excuse me, it's not all I'm, quote, ever trying to do. But I think that I'm used to being like, oh, look, a sweetness, like, I should probably, we should probably share, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sweetness. That's true. There is. Yes. So, Cameron Ockwood Rich, what is moving you these days? Well, it's really hard to think about anything other than something like the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. But what it is really is like a kind of profound ambivalence, I think. I mean, I don't know if this is exactly... What? Yeah, I'll okay. explain. Yes. But okay. I, I don't think it, I don't know if it necessarily makes sense to say that this is what is moving me, ambivalence. Uh-huh. But what I feel uh-huh. strongly is ambivalence, by which I mean uh-huh. that it is wildly apparent that this is a moment of great catastrophe mm. and suffering and a moment in which all of the worst kinds of structural inequalities in our country and around the world are being just like right there all the time. Um, But on the other hand, we've been joking about being in a pillow fort and um, a kind of abundance of sweetness that um, this sort of period of not leaving the apartment has brought. I honestly think that something that I'm always interested in, in my poems, but also just in my life is contradiction, ambivalence, the kind of question of like, how to sit with the kind of contradiction of the simultaneous and like always simultaneous terror and beauty of the world, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But like a now more than ever sort of, well, not maybe not now more no, than ever. No, it's just it's the just thing like, is like, I don't now. think it's now more than ever. I think it's just uh, there are fewer things to distract myself with mm. aside from the ever-present beauty and terror of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, the thing that's interesting to hear you say a li- ambivalence, it's just like a not caring, but it's it's not that, right? It's like a, it's like a deep feeling in two, two different directions. Yeah. 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 I mean. Ambivalent. Yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I mean, I think that if I were being, if I were somebody who is um, better at remembering books that I've read, mm-hmm. I would probably say something like, yes. You're right, Francis, that most people, most of the time in everyday life, we use ambivalence to mean like wishy-washiness or like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. strong feeling, Mm -hmm. but that the way that people who care deeply about psychoanalysis use it uh, is precisely this thing that you were saying is like being strong. Is it a psychoanalytic term? Well, I don't know if it is a psychoanalytic term, Uh but it is a term that is used in psychoanalysis to mean sort of strong feeling in two directions Mm. or strong attachments in two directions. Mm, Yeah. Attachments in two directions. Yeah. Is it ambivalence that's at the heart of dispatch? Is that the like core feeling engine driving the book? You know, I don't think that it's necessarily ambivalence. It's, it's a series of kinds of contradictions, you know. I could try to be smart about it, but I think that the real answer is just that I was very lonely, yeah. but also surrounded all the time by so much beauty. And yeah. I didn't know what to think about it. Yeah, I think I wrote this book during a time when I felt particularly estranged from the world, which is a feeling I have all the time. Um, But I wrote most of it while I was living in Palo Alto, California, Mm -hmm. which is a weird place. A doomsday place. It's a doomsday place. It's like very beautiful and full of money um, and full of a weird kind of techno optimism Mm -hmm. that I walked around every day and I felt like, oh, my God, the horror, the horror (laughs) that everybody was always smiling, you know? And I mean, I think that that feeling of like estrangement, this is a feeling that I had in many different places. It wasn't Mm. just California. It was also like, um, I think that the earliest poems in the book were written while I was at a Cave Canem retreat. Mm -hmm. For listeners that don't know, Cave Canem is an organization that is really sort of crucial to the the building of um, Black poetry in America um, in the last 20, 25 years. And one of the things they do is they have an annual retreat where a bunch of fellows come. It's kind of like a weird writing boot camp, but also Mm -hmm. a kind of beautiful moment of being surrounded by 
other Black poets, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, when does one have the chance to just spend a week surrounded by Black genius writers? The earliest poems in the book, I think, were written there. And some things that happened while I was at these two Cave Canem retreats was one year I was at this retreat during the time when uh, Dylan Roof uh, went and shot up the AME church in South Carolina. Um, Mm -hmm. And the second year, the day that we all got to Pittsburgh um, for the retreat, there was like sort of the day of the Pulse shooting. Um, So yeah, the earliest poems in the book were sort of reactions to or trying to think about like, how do I think about being in this like temporary place of Black bounty while also being unable to avoid the terrible news of the world, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and just like walking around feeling both beauty and terror. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like such a now feeling, like you were saying before, right? Mm -hmm. Of like the haven of the apartment Mm -hmm. and the haven of like love and cat and blankets and books. Yeah, yeah. It's important to me to say that like, started writing the book in 2014, you know, because mm-hmm. I think that it's easy to read right. it or and a lot of sort of books that are coming out now as being like books of the Trump era, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the events that I'm responding to happened in 2014 or before. Mm-hmm. This sort of feeling of estrangement or beauty and terror or whatever, like I think it's important to say that it's like a long historical feeling, you know, and not just of this moment. Right. Um, Do you want to go check on our food? Yeah. To see if it's been delivered? Yeah. All right, we're going to pause this recording. Where, where, where were we? What were we talking? We were talking about your book. We were talking about my beak. Your beak. Your beak. Yes, my beak. Your feelings beak. My feelings beak. If you were a bird, what kind of bird would you be? What is the bird that you most feel affinity to in this moment? Bower bird. I think that that is my courtship <laughs> ritual. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> <laughs> well... I mean, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I procured us this good apartment mm-hmm. and I filled it with the essential items, but waited for you to fill it with things other than blue items. Okay. I'm much more subtle than a, bo- a bowerbird, I think. Yeah, no, it's true. But, You're like a sneaky bowerbird. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like the way that I, yeah, the way that I know how to flirt is to basically make something like a home and then just sort of stand in it and wait. <laughs> I know that they have the whole dance that they do, but I, I'm, yes, it's true. I don't have a dance. No, exactly. but I think that your dance is like, um, I think the poems are the dance. Oh yeah, it's true. Yeah. 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 You know. My poems are my dance. And then, yeah, you like build a cave, a shiny cave of lon- a loneliness. Mm-hmm. And then on the page, you stand in the middle of it and dance your feelings out mm-hmm. in order to attract a mate. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, it worked, didn't it? Well, it did. It continues to work every day. I think every day, you, yeah, it's sort of like a look at the stuff I <laughs> gathered. <laughs> look at my stuff. Uh-huh. But it's like the stuff is like um, like an essay mm-hmm. that you've read to me in bed. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, something like that. Yeah. What I want to ask you is, you have said before that you feel as though your whole life has prepared you for this moment of the need to shelter in place. Why do you say that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be clear, I don't think that there's necessarily anything in my external life that has prepared me for this moment, (laughs) Uh but my internal life, certainly. Yeah. um, uh, I think that maybe what you're referring to is the fact that my earliest recurrent dreams were two different dreams, basically about the world ending through some sort of pandemic. Also, uh, I think that I am and always have been. No, it's actually not true that I've always been an introvert, but presently. Is it not? I don't think so. When were you not an introvert? I used to be much louder. What? Yeah, I think that I used to be different and something happened. When was this? When was the great shift? I think sometime around like fifth or sixth grade. 
really? That's late. Yeah. You're a person at that point. Yeah. And you don't know what happened? Not really. I mean, there's like a version of you that's loud. Yeah, I guess I don't, I guess maybe I don't really mean that I was extroverted. I think that I, what I mean is that I used to be less, um, I used to be in a defensive crouch less. So it's not necessarily that I like Mm. derived energy from being around other people. It's more just that like I was less self-conscious. And so I was as weird as I am in our apartment outside of the apartment. Oh, interesting. Yeah. There's an inside camera and an outside camera. Yeah. They're not like super dissimilar. Yeah. But one is just very Cameronly. <laughs> well, I guess they're both Cameronly. One is more silly. One is more silly. Yeah. And I don't I don't think that most people who know you in like a more kind of like professional context would think of you as a silly person. No, it's true. How much of it is like I'm intentionally trying to be projecting serious Cameron, mm-hmm. serious Dr. Awkward Rich? And how much of it is like it's just like habit? I think it's mostly just habit. Really? Yeah. It feels really scary to me to be silly. Why? What are we in therapy? Kind of. Uh, <laughs> okay, no, not therapy, but the, uh, you know, I I think that I yeah. Um, we're in follow-up question land. Yeah, okay. Um <laughs> yes, I find being silly very vulnerable because the things that have brought me to this place in my life By which I mean the things that like got me from childhood to adulthood, Mm -hmm. the things that allow me to have a secure and also unimaginably lucky job, Mm -hmm. Uh, the things that allow me to like move around in various kinds of, um, I don't know, respectable places Mm -hmm. and be, if not exactly taken seriously, then not taken to be a fool, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I, I think that all of those things come out of my ability to seem thoughtful Mm. and well-read and is it like a respectable thing no I don't think it's exactly respectable because I think that I get I think the the amount of withdrawn that I am also often gets me into trouble it's more like the way that I came to understand that I could get adults and in particular, like, white adults to mm-hmm. leave me alone uh, mm-hmm. was basically by being serious and smart and studious and whatever, you know? Right. And I think that being silly is, like, yeah. not that. Right. It's sort of like a look at me. Mm-hmm. It draws attention. Mm-hmm. It draws attention. And also it's, like, a drawing attention to not my brain, but my right my finger guns. Your finger guns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, do you ever get silly in poems? Very occasionally, not very yeah. often. But I think you're making, always making jokes. Yes, I, I'm always making jokes in my poems, but <laughs> I think that they're the kind of joke that allow me still to, like, maintain a kind of distance, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like most of my jokes, like, unless you are somehow on the inside, like, they don't register as jokes. Huh. Do you think so? You, do you think that most people don't know that you're making jokes in the poems when you are? I think that people often don't know that I'm making jokes when I am. That's funny. Yeah. Wait. So why make jokes? Because it allows me to do precisely this. You know, it allows me to construct an audience who is in on the joke. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it, right, right, right. and to like hold everybody else at a kind of calculated distance. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find it to be very satisfying. Yeah. Um. I think all the time about that moment in your poem, Theory of Motion, is it six, Nocturne? Mm-hmm. What, is the, what is the part where you say, here's a door, walk through? Oh, it's like... Um, You're talking about your grandmother. Gra- I'm talking about my great-grandmother. Great-grandmother. You say, like, she survived so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she survived so much. If you don't know what I mean, then she's not yours to carry. Mm-hmm. Here's a door opening in the poem. Here's an exit, walk through. Right. Yeah. Which is like, I don't know if I'd ever seen that happening before. Like, I think that this is like a thing that we, like a lot of people talk about, like mm-hmm. this sort of like, like the series of, of like inner rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, like some people are in on it all mm-hmm. the way and some people are kind of in on it, et cetera. But that is like a moment where you were like formalizing it, being like, here's, here's the line. Here's the, like the demarcation line. And mm-hmm. like, if you're not on the inside, goodbye. <laughs> 
which I've just never seen before. Yeah. Why why'd you do that, Cameron? I don't think that I had a theory about why I did it then. Mm-hmm. I think in retrospect, I have a theory. I mean, so that poem is from my first book, which was primarily about, you know, the experience of transition or mm-hmm. like the experience of hormonal transition. It was a book where I often was thinking about the figure of like the ghost and the mm-hmm. ghostly, but mostly in terms of like the girl that I had lived my whole life being sort of receding from me, you know? Um, but it seemed also impossible to be writing that book in that time and place in Oakland in the early 2010s in my particular body without also thinking about the ghost as racialized. But I don't think that I knew exactly how to do it yet. Mm-hmm. That was a poem where I was trying to talk about the way that Blackness and Black sort of femininity or Black womanhood like haunted the book. Mm-hmm. But I felt very protective of it Mm. because I knew that I didn't know exactly how to do it Mm. and that it felt like it could easily become about the kind of spectacle of Black suffering in various kinds of ways. And I knew that I needed the poem in the book, but I knew also that it wasn't exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I was trying to find a way to both indicate that I sort of knew that was a risk in the poem. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a poem, so one can't prevent people from reading. But I, yeah. you know, I, it was just like a way of like trying to draw a line and say, yeah, I know. I, I know the problem with this poem, but I don't know exactly how to solve it other than to ask people to look away. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel like you're doing that same sort of like demarcating and asking people to look away in Dispatch? The question of who's reading in Dispatch feels to me to be different. Like mm-hmm. the poems in Dispatch that are about um, various shootings, right? Most of the poems that I think of as being like about Black suffering, right? They they are really about like my encounters with the way that that is mediated to me, right? right? And right. so I, f- I think that I felt a little bit less weird about those poems mm-hmm. because ultimately my question was not, how will other people look at this? And they were really, the question really was like, how am I looking at the world? Yeah, right. And I think that it's different to not be the person who delivers that news or who has the burden of delivering that news. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I think if when you're saying like, like telling your great grandmother's story, then. Yeah. And I mean, also, I guess the thing about my great grandmother is that like, she was somebody who was like always in my life as a child. But I feel like I, whatever I would say about her was like largely imaginary, Mm -hmm. which I don't know. feels to me like a different kind of ethical stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Your book came out in December. Yeah. The book season for your book has sort of been canceled. Mm -hmm. What's that like? Well, as you know, Frances, (laughs) for a long time, Uh I would walk around Mm -hmm. and tell people that I hoped that nobody read my book. Oh, yeah. You did keep saying (laughs) that. You kept saying it and saying it. Yeah. So... um, (laughs) I feel as though I've gotten the thing that I asked for. This is like the classic, be careful what you wish for. Unless you're me and what you wish for is to stay home and (laughs) hidden. Then I've gotten precisely. Okay, but why did you, did you mean it when you said, I hope no one reads it? How much did you actually mean that? I think that my general strategy for dealing with people and life Mm -hmm. is to deflect it and Uh, hold it at a distance uh as we've been talking about. Yes, 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 yes. And so when encountering people in the world saying, I'm excited about your book, my automatic response Uh, is to say, I hope that nobody reads it Uh because it's a way of maintaining distance. Mm -hmm. I guess I don't actually hope that no one reads it. I think that strangely... It is a book that feels of the moment. Mm -hmm. The poem from the book that has been sort of circulating on the internet is this poem called Meditations in an Emergency Mm -hmm. that I is like sort of in response to Frank O'Hara, sort of not. This is like the one poem in the book that I was like, this is not a poem. (laughs) And and I think that it's like maybe one of two poems in the book that like wasn't published somewhere else because I looked at it and I was like, you're not a poem. And so it's, (laughs) and so, and so it's the thing that's been circulating, which makes me think, okay, fine, maybe there's something in this book that is, like, useful to the kind of emotional reality right now. 
anyway, I mean, I guess the question was like, what's it like the fact that I got what I asked for, which was <laughs> that I would not have to go around and be attached to the book um, in public. Again, I feel very of two minds. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd like to know what it will do in the absence of me, you know? Yeah. I have a really hard time thinking about myself as something that might help sell the book. Wait, what do you mean by that? It feels like something that I made and that it might have its own life independent of me. Mm-hmm. And that the more that I sort of hold its hand and walk it around, the more difficult it is for me to bear the fact of having written it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh-huh. like it's like video, it's like YouTube videos of me doing slam poems. It's like I understand that they have <laughs> lives of their own in the internet. Yeah, best not to watch them. Best though. not to watch them, best not to be associated with them. Yeah. Etc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what's that thing that thing that you say like that it's a joy to be it's a joy to be hidden and a disaster not to be found. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, feel, first of all, I feel like, like I said that to so- someone, I think maybe I like mentioned it to Fatih and she like immediately wrote it down in her notebook. I, mean, I feel like <laughs> it's like such an evergreen feeling, yes. you know? Yeah. Um, But it really is a joy to be hidden though, isn't it? Yeah. It's a great joy. Great joy <laughs> to be hidden. Why is it such a joy to be hidden? <laughs> What? I feel like you're just interviewing me about feelings. Okay, maybe like let's narrow it down to like poems. Mm-hmm. Like when you say like an attempt to keep things at a distance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the poems you both keep things, you keep some things at a distance, but then also the poems are, as somebody who knows you, like the place where your feelings are sort of their most barefaced, mm-hmm. you know? That's true. So what's up with that? How are, how are they both so? <laughs> how do they manage to be both holding you at a distance and also showing you all my stuff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you think of them as holding people at a distance? I have two different answers okay. to the question. Yeah. Well, there were seven different questions. So that yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, the first answer is that I have this like tiny essay in like poets and writers weird craft capsule series. Mm-hmm. I like all of the essays that you wrote for it so much. Thank you. I assigned one to my students and I wanted to assign more, but then I didn't want it to just be like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Professor Choi is just making us read all our boyfriend's essays. Yeah, that would have been weird. I know it would have been weird, but I wanted to. This uh, is very useful. Okay. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. I have one <laughs> that is mostly a long extended metaphor about hermit crabs. Oh, yeah. Which... If you don't know, if Francis has not forced you to watch <laughs> um, one of the many life documentaries, mm-hmm. do this thing where when they outgrow their shells, they all line up on the beach and then just like transfer shells like one over and one over and one over um, so that like the smallest one gets into the next smallest shell and leaves its shell for somebody smaller, et cetera. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I think that I was just like trying on an idea when I was writing this this tiny essay, but I think that it really is true that I like think about poems as really being imprints of feelings that I have already moved through. Oh, you know, so to me, it kind of feels like what I'm doing is like leaving behind a skin or a shell mm. that lets you see the feeling or the event or the thought, but that I, I'm no longer actually in it. Oh, wow. When it seems really immediate, it's actually like very distant from you. Yeah. Yeah. It also has to do with like sort of expectation. I mean, I feel like your encounters with my poems are different than other people's. There's this just like Goodreads review of my first book that I really love, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like a bad review, but it's like, it's, I really quite love it because it's basically, the review is basically like, this seemed both like very intimate, but cold. Um, <laughs> or like, it's something like, this is like somebody like showing us like this, like very personal thing, but I felt like we were looking from a distance. And that is like the kind of feeling that I want very much to create, right? Because I think that there's like, as much as I value poems of deep feeling and poems that like give one the experience of intimacy, I think I also, I mean, especially with the first book, 
was like profoundly wary of like the mandate to confess. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I feel like transness <laughs> is historically constituted as like a kind of confessional subjectivity, right? The thing that one has to do is always be confessing, confessing, confessing to mm-hmm. one's sort of most basic senses of self, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually very hard to transition without making some kind of object that mm-hmm. is like a record of that. Yeah. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. I was curious about how to confess without confessing, mm-hmm. you know, or how to like give the appearance of intimacy while also withholding from people for whom that intimacy is um, like an expectation, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, these are questions I have about like how to make poems do this. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that totally that totally makes sense. God, I love that bad Goodreads view. It's so <laughs> perfect. Yeah, yeah. I feel that a, a lot in your poems. That doesn't mean it's not a real feeling just mm-hmm. because you've it's like at a distance or, you know, you say like confess without confessing, but it is still letting people into a home. It's yeah. just a home that you've outgrown, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What else I, do you want to talk about, Cameron? I don't know. We've been talking about ambivalence. We've been talking about, yes, the ambivalence of terror and joy. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should talk about Bean. <laughs> what about Bean? <laughs> well, there's a poem in the book that's about, that's a Bean ode. It is. That's true. It's the only pure love poem in the book, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is so f- funny. This book, Dispatched by Cameron Argard Rich, out from Persia Books, is a book of like profound loneliness and sorrow, anxiety about the catastrophes of the world. And then there's this <laughs> poem in the middle of it that's just a love poem for the cat. Yeah. And also, also, th- this is the poem that people like talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like several reviews have like fixated on this poem, the cat poem. The cat poem. Why is the cat poem in there and what do people like so much about it? Well, I don't know what people like so much about it, (laughs) but it's in there because if I want to think about my book as being a record of feeling slash whatever that I inhabited and no longer I'm in, um, it's true that being the cat (laughs) has been my most consistent companion, my most consistent relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, because over the years that the book was written, I lived in like five different apartments Mm -hmm. and like most of the years that the book was being written I was living in like a garage in Palo Alto California Mm -hmm. where I didn't know anyone and it was just me and Bean (laughs) and and adjacent to this family that I like they were fine but I had no I didn't know them you know I guess it seems like at my most lonely and at my like least human you know she was kind of like inhuman with me Mm, you know yeah Because, I mean, this is the thing about the poem is that, like, it is true that, like, it's the one poem. Well, maybe it's not the one poem, but it is a poem where, like, the love object being is, like, an uncomplicated love object. Mm -hmm. But I think that the speaker of the poem seems pretty dejected. (laughs) And. Yeah, it's, like, not an uncomplicated. It's not, like, like merely a happy poem. Yeah, that's true. Are there merely sad or devastating poems? If there is one, I think that it might be that anti-elegy poem, Mm. which is weird because I think in being an anti-elegy, it's like trying to think about rituals of mourning, you Mm -hmm, know? mm -hmm. It's a poem that's all bad feeling, you know? Anger, sorrow, fear. Can you describe the poem or talk about what you were trying to do in the poem? Oh, yes. Yeah, so for a period of maybe like a decade or something, um, I had this kind of occasional writing practice where I would write a poem like on the occasion of Trans Day of Remembrance. When I first started doing this, I didn't exactly know why I was doing it. I just knew that the kind of ritual of commemorating, I mean, at that point in time, like mostly South American trans women as like a group of well-meaning college students Mm -hmm. at like a fancy pants liberal arts university. Mm -hmm. Like it felt to me really complicated. Mm -hmm. But at the time I like had no idea like how exactly to like think about what was complicated about it. And also, I don't know, it made me really sad, you know, like um, 
it made me sad that I didn't exactly know how to pay attention to the lives of these women, you know, um, who were connected to me only in kind of arbitrary category, you know. Mm -hmm. So I had this long occasional writing practice, um, and this poem, Anti-Elegy, is the last of these poems that I've written. Um, I wrote it on Trans Day of Remembrance in, I think, 2015. I think that it's a poem that is interested in the question of, like, if this, like, most familiar to non-trans people at least, like, form of trans politics is, like, fundamentally elegiac, right? Mm -hmm. If it's fundamentally about, like, marking lost people and idealizing them in a way, right? Stripping them out of their particular social context and letting them just be sort of purely innocent sort of trans people who are lost um, to transphobic violence. I'm making a lot of scare quotes here. Um, It seemed to me that this like form of politics had like a deep relationship to the elegy as a form. And I was skeptical of them both. Mm -hmm. And I think that the poem is just trying to figure out like, okay, what are ways of mourning? What are ways of recognizing the Mm -hmm. kind of complications of elegy? What Mm -hmm. are ways of... um, thinking about these particular deaths in the context of the history of colonialism, mm-hmm, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, 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 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, that, <laughs> that all-encompassing blah, blah. Yeah, you know. No, I do. <laughs> yeah. um, it is really interesting that that's the one that's like maybe the closest to being only bad feelings mm-hmm. in the subversion of the elegy form. But this is the thing. It's like we think of the elegy form as like a bad feeling poem but it's not it's not it's not yeah it's it's about consolation right yeah yeah if yeah right because the three parts are what lamentation praise consolation like two of those are good Mm -hmm. it's like two out of three good feelings Mm -hmm. yeah and i know that you have a lot of thoughts about the usefulness of bad feelings but i won't make you explain (laughs) the entire crux of your academic book thank you okay i appreciate uh But really? Okay, okay, fine. We won't talk about bad feelings. Thank you. Ugh, okay, fine. Um, Cameron. Yes, Francis. What? Okay, I think that may be like an elephant of sorts. Maybe a pygmy elephant. In a the pygmy room. elephant in the room? Yeah. Okay. Might be the fact that this is a, you know, we've talked a lot about loneliness and dispatch. hmm or at least part of that, it's like a loneliness of like us not being together and us not being able to be together. Mm-hmm. What is it like to like read at readings, et cetera, poems that are about a time when you are very distant from love at a time when you are not so distant from love? You know, part of me wonders if that's why I told so many people that I didn't want anyone to read the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot, there's a lot of it that still feels like it is my inner life, but there's so much of it that's like no longer true precisely. Yeah. It's weird to like re-inhabit that moment in time, even though it was not that long ago. Mm-hmm. I guess one way that I might answer is that I'd say it's true that uh, here we are in our sheet fort mm-hmm. and that something of the impossibility of love seems no longer to be true to me. Yeah. Like all of us. I find that I am prone to melancholy. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And so this will sound like a dramatic statement, but I don't mean it dramatically. But like, I feel like what I've been trying to do for the past year and the thing that's been showing up a little bit in my poems is like how to reconcile the fact that I've spent my whole life kind of feeling like something like romantic love was, yeah. I I think that I've spent so much of my life feeling proximate to it rather than of it or in it. Mm-hmm. And I think now that that's no longer true, it's still true that I have all of my old defense mechanisms about it, you know, um, and all of my old theories. I don't know. I think that I've been trying to figure out how to write poems that can hold both of those things at once, right? Yeah. Um, old shell, new shell. Yeah. Exactly. Trying to figure out how to inhabit this new shell. This one that I was not entirely convinced was real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? You plopped yourself into it and there's a whole other hermit crab in there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah.
Well, I think that is a great place for us to pivot toward mirth. Okay. <laughs> and to play. Okay. Okay, so this is a game called Speed Bag uh-huh. and or Fast Punch. Okay. Where you'll say the best of or worst of a series of things and they will come at you they will fly at your face at great speed and you will have to respond in kind i I understand but it seems like if something is flying at your face at great speed you should just duck yeah no, no, no no you shouldn't duck you have to bat it out of the way with an answer okay I mean, I get it, but I don't agree with it. Okay, or it's like the fast speed bag. It's like, it's like here, here it's, it's just coming back. Okay. Every time you hit it, it comes back, yeah, and yeah, then you got to okay. hit it again. Okay, got it. Okay, and then if you take too long, then I might yell fast punch at you. Okay. To try to encourage you. To encourage me to speed up. Yes. Okay. So do you want to say the best of or the worst of? The like? worst of. Okay, yeah, yeah. That seems, yeah, seems right. Okay. Um. Ready? Uh-huh. You ready with the boggle timer? I am. And go. Okay. Worst kind of television. You mean like kind of television set? No, to watch. To, oh, like a like kind of the show? Kind of show. The kind that makes me, like reality TV yeah, shows yeah, in yeah. general. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Worst place to write? In the dark. Okay. <laughs> Worst pizza topping? Pineapple. Interesting. What? Okay. Um, Worst musical? I cannot answer that question. I refuse with the premise. <laughs> Um, worst compliment to receive? Any compliment. <laughs> okay. Um, worst habit of mine? You mean like that I don't find charming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think that the worst habit of yours is to completely lose yourself in time such that you don't understand that you've done an enormous amount of work in a short amount of time because you think that much longer time has passed. Okay, all right, all right. And then beat yourself up about okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, um, worst habit of beans? Uh, sitting on your face. Okay, yeah. Um, worst thing about being a professor? Uh... I guess it would say various kinds of meetings when people sure. are pontificating sure. on and on and on and on and on about nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And great, with great syntax. Um, um, Worst kind of reading or like we're setting to read in. Really long rooms. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Um, This is the last one. Worst person in Tiger King. The worst person? Mm-hmm. I think that maybe that Jeff guy. The Vegas guy. Because I think the rest of them just seem sort of like hapless and like mm. chaotic but mm-hmm. he seems to have calculated no, the whole no, thing. yeah he was yeah, there was malintent yeah. yeah yeah okay great you won the game and there's still there's still time in the boggle two boggles left yeah amazing well done cameron you did it you did a great job um okay now we're going to play a game that we like to call this versus that mm-hmm. um we put two things in a room and um you have to tell us which would win in a fight Mm-hmm. A physical brawl. Mm-hmm. For this edition of This versus That, we will have in this corner a hermit crab. Going up against it, in that corner, we have Bean, the cat. Who would win in a fight? Ding, ding, ding. I think that actually the hermit crab might win, mm-hmm. which is counterintuitive because Bean is much bigger. But the thing and she's about, a fierce predator. And she, well, she's theoretically a fierce predator. <laughs> but the thing is that she is afraid of literally each and everything that she encounters. <laughs> um, just earlier today, I was watching her try to like get into a, like a little corner that she likes a lot, but her, there was a shoelace there. <laughs> and so she just spent the whole time, she just spent like five minutes staring at the shoelace. And then eventually it was like, no, you know, I cannot go sit in my corner <laughs> because there's this terrifying beast there. <laughs> yeah, a snake. Yeah, well, okay, yeah. A snake that is obviously dead if it is a snake. Um, So I suspect that the hermit crab might win if only by default. Because Bean would try to leave the room. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she wouldn't stay in the ring for the fight. She wouldn't bat it around? Doesn't she hunt when she she used to be an outside cat? Wouldn't she, like... Hunt? No, she's never, ever... She's never brought you anything? She's never brought me anything. What does she do when she goes out into the world? Lies underneath bushes. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> that checks out. Yeah, I mean, I think that the only thing she's ever successfully hunted was the little pull-out things from milk, you know? Yeah, but what does it even mean to successfully hunt one of those? Exactly. Mm. Poor Bean. Yeah, poor Bean. Poor, poor Bean. Okay, well, thanks, Cameron, for 
get into my fort with me and talk yeah. to me about pubs and stuff. Of course. Thanks for uh, thanks for making this fort and interviewing me about my feelings. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry to put you on blast so much. We can um, edit out any vulnerabilities that you may have divulged in the course of this interview. Well, as long as my enemies don't listen to this, I think it'll be okay. Yeah, no. They're not going to list it. Yeah. Um, do you want to <laughs> read us another poem? Sure. Um, I opened with the first poem in the book, so I'll close with the last poem in the book, which is Cento between the ending and the end. Sometimes you don't die when you're supposed to, and now I have a choice. Repair a world or build a new one inside my body. A white door opens into a place queerly brimming gold light. So velvet gold, it is like the world hasn't happened. When I call out, all my friends are there. Everyone we love is still alive, gathered at the lakeside like constellations. My honeyed kin, honeyed light beneath the sky, a garden. Blue stalks, white buds, the moon's marble glow, the fire distant and flickering, the body whole, bright-winged, brimming with the hours of the day, beautiful, nameless planet. Oh, friends, my friends, bloom how you must, wild until we are free. That was so wonderful and special and had a cat in it. I love that. <laughs> there was a cat in it. I gotta say, I really like that episode. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. It's sweet. It's like my favorite, he's my favorite person. It's nice to get to hear my favorite person. You know? <laughs> Whatever. I, I, I will say I am mildly jealous that I was not invited to cross-country tour and be in a mask underneath the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the sweetest vision of the apocalypse, like three friends wearing N95 masks under a blanket fort. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that apocalypse. Yeah. Oh, take me I mean, now. it's ter- yeah. it's terrible. Let's be clear. It's it's bad. But, you know, it's I guess it's kind of cute. Perversely cute. On the list of the apocalypses, it is by far the cutest one. Uh, <laughs> all right. Should we let's thank some folks and get on out of here. Yeah. I'm going to thank mandarin oranges because they feed me in these times um y'all i just rediscovered my like love of mandarin oranges like swimming in syrup i really do Um, love those mandarin oranges they're so good they're just little oranges but they have no nutritional value but they're so (laughs) tasty (laughs) a cold can of mandarin oranges y'all like i like i'm turning into somebody else like when i get back from like a run sometimes i'll just put a can of mandarin oranges like in the freezer and be like oh that's gonna be cold in an hour and then i do my little thing and I come back and I eat cold man and oranges. They are bringing me so much joy and light. And oh I would my like God. To thank those little... You're like a 1950s bachelor. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, I, if you act right, I might put them in some jello, girl. Oh. Uh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to thank our cat, Bean, who has finally warmed up to me and no longer tries to attack me every time, just sometimes, when I disturb her or when I pet her um, too much. I hope you'll be my friend forever. Um, we'd also like to thank the Poetry Foundation, Post Loudness. Um, we'd like to thank Idalmi Noriega and Itzel Blancas at the Poetry Foundation. Thank you to our producer, Daniel Kisslinger, holding it down as always. And thank you to you for continuing to listen to us uh, while you are sequestered away in your homes. Yes, please continue to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you know a friend that's in the house and could use some like good, sometimes nasty, funny poetry podcasts, recommend it to them. Uh, follow us on Twitter at BS the Podcast. And with that, we will see y'all next time. Hope y'all stay safe. Be well. Goodbye.